I'm really pleased to be here um, representing um, the conversations that we've been hosting at the Minneapolis Foundation. When we uh, worked on our strategic plan there, we decided that one of the things that we felt was really important for us to do was to actually go into conversations and issues related to race and equity and inclusion and just kind of run directly at it, not skirt around, go directly into um, the grittier, the harder conversations, because we felt like it was an important thing for us to do um, in order to address the disparities um, that we face in this community. We also recognize that many of us are having these hard conversations, but we're doing that inside of our own communities of comfort and not doing them in a cross-cultural way. And so we wanted to um, model and be on a journey knowing that in philanthropy we have work to do as well, um, that we were going to go out there and basically model what we hope to see. And so um, when I saw this documentary, um, it touched me um, for a couple of reasons. Can you hear me? This mic feels weird. Um, it, it touched me for uh, several reasons. One is because um, I grew up, as Marcia said, in North Minneapolis, and I'm raising my children there. And so part of the emotion that I feel when I watch this is emotion that I felt as a youngster growing up and going to school there. And I tell people that my experience in living in that neighborhood um, was, was very pleasant, right? I grew up with my parents, we, we had great neighbors, we had great experiences, and sometimes there were tragedies. But the majority of my life was not traumatic. But I did spend quite a bit of time thinking about who am I relative to the narrative that is around me about North Minneapolis and the people and the families that live there. And do I need someone that's gonna come in and interrupt my trajectory in order for me to be all that I can be? And the narrative that was shared was different than my experience living there. And so I've spent um, my time trying to, in some way, in different ways throughout my career, unlayer and present the, the stories that exist within neighborhoods. Um, matter of fact, Kinsey is here somewhere and our journalist from North High School. Hi. Um, so I welcome you um, to the space. But North News was, when I was at Pillsbury United Communities, was something that unfolded and, um, in, that, in that vein, is saying, how are we going to lift up narratives, and how do we bring young people into telling stories in community in a way that represents their assets, represents the complexity, and represents their vision. And so um, I'm very, very pleased to be here. And I just want to um, start out with, like, how did you get into telling stories? Oh, well, that, that started when I was a, basically five years old. That was my first memory of just, like, penning my own stories in kindergarten and first grade. And my parents were teachers, so definitely grew up with a love of reading and writing. And another early memory I had was I used to uh, perform my own newscasts in my living room for my dog and my sister. So, um, and uh, there was a, a female uh, broadcaster named Jessica Savage, and she was uh, killed in a, a car wreck many years ago, but she was an early role model for me as a female. She was one of the first women to ever anchor an evening newscast, and so she was an early role model for me. So I think the stories were always within me. I was always a very shy uh, little girl, and so writing was sort of my escape, my art form. I, I went on to initially study newspaper, 
at Indiana University, but um, on the last kind of minute whim, I took an internship at CNN, and I love the emotional um, intimacy that you can get from, from video storytelling and capturing people in their environments, and so um, kind of went on, on more of the you know broadcasting track, but still a writer at heart, and whether you're writing video or, or a story or, or an article, um, it's, it's words and stories, and really mm -hmm. like the stories of people, especially overcoming things, yeah. that move me. So. Really interesting. I was a bit shy, too. I put my energy into books. <laughs> I read all the time. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. How about you, Dirt? Uh, yeah. I, um, I don't know if you can hear me. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I was young. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to uh, be a lawyer. I wanted to be a music teacher. And then I uh, started watching The West Wing, and I saw... <laughs> Allison Janney standing at that uh, press secretary podium at the White House, and I said, "That that's it. That's what I want to do. Um, and that's so I uh, vacillated back and forth, but uh, eventually when I was in college, took my first, you know, comms 110 class, and I'm like, oh my God, there's a name for this, like, field and all the things I want to do, and um, mm -hmm. that set me down a path to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Really awesome. See, all TV is not bad. We got West Wing and Florentine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, and then we have Kara Levin that um, you went out, from my understanding, to cover um, one story. And can you just talk a little bit about how did you come into relationship with Lucy Laney? I think it was just from, from being in the community a number of times covering all sorts of stories and witnessing this school as a beacon and sort of uh, recognizing it over time and this repeated sort of, you know, knock at my heart, like there's there's a story there. So the first time I witnessed Lucy Laney um, was they started something kind of novel, a first day of school rally where they invite the community in to line the sidewalks and give every student a high five or hug as they come into the school to lift them up and validate them. And particularly they started it to bring in more male role models into the community. And I just thought that was really cool. So that was my first kind of one story I did. It was about a minute, minute and a half, a little story. And then I encountered the, the school in more difficult situations after that. So um, the Jamar Clark protests in the neighborhood, and then my particular uh, watershed moment was when there was a two-year-old boy that was shot and killed on the by the corner of the school in a, a drive-by shooting. Levante King uh, was his name, and it was oh, about three years ago this summer. And so my assignment, and you remember this, Shonda, was, was to cover a peace vigil that the school was holding for them well, the children involved and, and the little yeah. boy that died um, at the because site. Because his sister was also shot. Yes. But did, but made it. Yeah. Yes. And she was a little older. Or, yeah. yeah. And um, it was summer school. And so Mari, the principal, who you heard from there in the trailer, um, had let out her students to the site where the little boy had died. Um, each of them had a handwritten card and carrying a carnation. And just these beautiful notes, like I, I remember this one card said, Dear Levante, uh, this, this note is a hug all the way to heaven. And these kids all, one by one, laid these notes at the site where this little boy died, and she was just so honest with them. Like, a car was driving by, and a, someone fired a gun, and a bullet traveled from that gun into the little boy's heart, and it took his life. And she was so sensitive, yet um, she was a protector and defender, and she was also angry and saying, this should, this should not be normalized, and this is their normal life. That, that, that had you know, followed a number of shootings um, that year. And so I was just really struck by, by her, her, her fierce protection. You know, I will go down believing, and, and I, I couldn't put that away. And so, so long story short, 
I had left um, news for about six months to have a, have a baby, had a lot of time to think, and I thought about my own privilege. I thought about how I was contributing to a narrative um, about the community that I knew had more complexity than what could be shown in a 90-second story about a shooting. And uh, yeah, and, and how, was it, how was it fair that um, I, didn't, I could go home and maybe I didn't have to worry about gunfire, but I felt like it was my, my problem too as a mother, as a community member, as a citizen, um, that this community six miles away from my home, I'm part of that community too. So when I went back to Care 11, came back after some time to reflect and I, I just felt like to trust your instincts and there's so many times in my career where I've kind of put my instincts away like well there's just another assignment there's another deadline and I think for the first time I just really listened to that voice inside me where I wanted my work to align with my heart um, and and to be legacy work I, I'm a mother of two I wanted my work to reflect the community that I wanted to live in and who I am and so um, sort of unraveling that um, and and so when I went back to work kind of started there asking the school for permission, Mari for permission, Dirk for permission, Care 11 for permission. Yeah. Um, Dirk, for your role, can you just describe your role, by the way, at the Minneapolis Public Schools? Yeah. Uh, so I am the media relations coordinator. So um, my title is to, you know, take care of the news organizations and build a relationship and help tell the story of Minneapolis Public Schools. Um, we're a small team, and as many of you know, in the PR world, like I wear several other hats doing crisis communications um, and internal communication and supporting people were a pretty small team over there. Um, but that was how I came to know Lindsay was through the work of um, helping to get journalists access to our schools, um, coordinating those visits and making sure everything uh, followed the procedures and protocols that's been outlined by the district and the Board of Education. Before we jump all the way um, into the documentary, um, as I understand it, this was an evolution um, that got us to the documentary, but can you just for context give us, you know, even for um, Lindsay and team to have access around that particular shooting, like can you just talk about what that looked like and were you involved with that? Um, what were the protocols so that we can get a sense of maybe what evolved um, as we go along in this conversation? Yeah, so um, as you can imagine, uh, communicators are pretty risk averse. Um, if it doesn't come with a high reward, it's not worth it. Uh, and so this was a, a challenging request. I, we first heard about it from Mari at a professional development uh, before the back to school season two years ago, um, and she said, hey, I was approached by CARE 11. They're interested in doing this series of stories on the school. They want to paint a broader picture of North Minneapolis and really explain what's going on. And you know, I'm a little hesitant, but I want to hear them out. And um, I wanted to make you all aware, because the school board has a policy that any media has to be approved by the superintendent or his designee being our office. And um, it. It is a challenging request uh, when you receive something like that because just a one-day news visit to the school, we have to coordinate media releases for the students and make sure that they can be filmed and photographed because uh, in, addition, in addition to like 
just the, the base need of parents to have a say in that. We have students in wit witness protection. We have students with restraining orders and other things. And so the idea of like a one day visit is challenging, but to have a news organization embedded in a school for an entire year um, is a whole host of new challenges. And so um, that conversation with Mari, she felt very strongly that there was a reward in this and that there was an opportunity um, and that it was a chance to tell a new narrative about North Minneapolis and about Minneapolis public schools. And so that was really I think moving to us as to why this was necessary um, and what it would mean to move forward. And so that began a whole string of conversations internally, even before we began talking with CARE 11, um, getting buy-in from the communications director, getting buy-in from the chief of staff who oversees communications, getting buy-in from our superintendent who serves as CEO of the school district. Um, and I think what everybody said was kind of let's proceed with a yellow light, like let's really establish some ground rules with CARE 11 and determine what this looks like and what uh, parameters there will be and um, we'll say yes for now and if things go really south, we're gonna shut it down because uh, our students are too important. Our job, you know, while we believe in openness and transparency is not to provide access to news organizations, it's to educate children. Mm -hmm. And if this detracts from that and any way, then it no longer has value and that reward is not worth it. And even if um, you know they are coming with uh, pure hearts and honest intentions, we have a duty and an obligation to protect those students and those families. And so that was the, the conversation setting that started. And then, of course, we moved into more conversations and meetings with CARE 11 um, mm -hmm. after they had done the legwork of getting approval from the school. Sure. And so I'm a mom of five. And I know at the beginning of every school year, we sign a lot of paperwork, which includes a media release. And then I know I sign other media releases along the way. And so that would be one of those things where I'm like, I can see the complexity of the story. And I think maybe now I understand the layering because the conditions of kids that are in school maybe have changed since that document was signed. Um, mm -hmm. But it does feel like quite a bit of a machine. And so I imagine that when you are working in a routine way, something that's unroutine um, really has an ability to, to shake. Um, everyone around it. Um, so we'll dig there a little bit more later. Um, Lindsay, for you, you went, you, you had a baby, you came back, you reflected, um, you entered um, that school in two pretty amazing moments. And I'm really familiar with um, the, the day that they welcomed the students in. And so they have all of these adults just lined up and they're high-fiving. I think I may have been there, I can't remember. I think Kenzie and other people were there. Um, and then you encountered this complete tragedy um, situation, and I've I've been struck, and must many of us have talked about um, the situations that have occurred um, within schools, and um, oftentimes the adults don't know what to do with it, and so they just jump back into class the next day as though the kids have not been impacted, and so for Mari um, to take time out to recognize the trauma that may have occurred and honor it and allow kids to give voice to it is really pretty incredible act of leadership. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that on top of the um, the, the 
tragic um, circumstance that brought you into this, there was something that you must have um, seen in Mari and Mari and you mm -hmm. that allowed for that space to, to, to be open for you all to explore a deeper relationship. Can you describe what that may have been? I feel like Mari's one of those people, when you meet her, uh, I, I describe it as a lightning bolt moment. Like, wow, if you follow this person, big things are gonna happen. Just, she will take you places. She's gonna risk everything to pursue her dream, which is to get these kids off the failing list and to, to raise them up and to love them and to success. And so um, I just felt like just struck by her. She's one of those people, I've, I've watched her speak now and people rise to their feet every time she enters a room. Um, it's like going to church when you hear her speak. Yeah. <laughs> And um, so I recognized her as, as a hero. I really did. And I, I wanted to know more about her. And, and really, she's, she's the center of it all. She's the one who created that, that loving environment and that success. Um, but um, more so back to, to building relationship and community because I had showed up in the community, I believe heart first, kind of knowing that this isn't my community, but I'm gonna be a listener and I'm gonna tell the story as accurately as possible. Um, whether it was a 90 second story of this documentary, my, my philosophy is to be a vessel and to like hold up a mirror and reflect that good into the, the greater world. And so I would always pray like no matter what happened, whether it's that story about the little boy being killed or a bigger documentary that I'm a vessel <laughs> for this community and please let the story walk, walk through me. Mm -hmm. And so she had kind of witnessed some of my more sensitive approach and some of my reporting. And so she had told me later that when I approached her with this idea, she felt like she sensed an authenticity about me and I about her. And I think that also speaks for one another with Dirk and I, like we had worked together. I have great admiration and respect for Dirk. And, um, and I think we had already built that relationship too. Um, and so I think that, that that was the groundwork where we all had had some initial trust. And and I talk about this sort of series of courageous yeses. Like every at every point, there's this magical force to this project where people took this leap of faith and said yes, even though they were skeptical, and even though maybe their mind was telling them they shouldn't. I think everybody saw that there was a greater good and, and purpose for, for telling the story of Lucy Laney in North Minneapolis. Right. And so Kara Levin, is not known for documentaries. No, this is brand new. <laughs> and um, and so what what was the evolution that allowed for you to get to a documentary? Because there were four parts, mm -hmm. um, if I recall. And so did you start out to do the documentary or did it lead into that? Yeah, I believe it was always a two-tiered approach. I mean, we, we initially pitched this as one year inside a school. That was how we pitched it to our managers. And generally, you know, the, the bread and butter of daily news is to like get your story in the five and six o'clock news. And, and so, you know, it takes a lot of risk and investment for a station to say, do a year long project. I've never been able to do a year-long project anywhere. And so we knew we had to sort of do like this two-tiered approach, you know, what we call in the newsroom feeding the beast, which is just creating daily content. So what we what we did was we created a new series first. So the agreement was we, we tried to do a weekly story that was too much, but we ended up probably producing two to three stories on Lucy Laney per month that aired on the news. And it mostly aired in our 6.30 p.m. Breaking the News show with Jana Shortall. So it kind of found a home there and gained a following there. So people were sort of following this, this kind of community in increments and falling in love with the kids. So that really helped us um, gain a following. And then 
the other approach was that we knew very early on that this story deserved the sacred space of a documentary. I'd always wanted to make a documentary at some point in my life, but I'd, I'd never made any initial plans. It was just like, again, like the story asked for it. It called for it. It needed the space for that complexity. And so then we kind of had this other approach. Well, all along we were producing news stories. We were shooting more footage and interviews for a documentary. So for instance, one of our main characters, Sophia, at the end, who talked about hope, we were following her throughout the school year, her story never made the daily news. So that was our approach. We knew that she would be a part of a, doc a documentary. So it was kind of like, let, let's start with a new series. Let's evolve to a documentary. Let's work on those both concurrently and see what happens. But still, I couldn't even see the end game. I knew that we'd have a, a documentary of some sort, but I didn't know that it would be maybe this caliber where it would kind of pierce the, the film world. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're now streaming on Amazon Prime. I never thought that would happen. So Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, and it's been like premiered in like 34 states Yeah, it, it's aired in 35 cities across the country through our, our parent company, Tegna. It's been in a number of film festivals. Um, yeah, so it's really had, had national reach and um, just wonderful feedback from communities all over the country. Mm -hmm. And so you go from like, let's try this with your cautionary light, and now it's like completely green and like moving forward at full steam. Um, so how, how do you, or, or can you share how this may have changed how you at Minneapolis Public Schools think now about uh, your communication strategies relative to um, the schools and what's happening in them. Yeah, um, I also want to say Lindsay and Ben were pretty strategic in their ask because they did not come to us with a documentary to start. If they had, I don't know that it ever would have happened. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it wasn't to be deceptive, but we just really did not <laughs> yeah. really know, you know? It, yeah, it was more of we're going to do this series of news stories, and um, as it progressed, you know, maybe one day there'll be a documentary sort of thing or whatever. Um, and I think when it finally happened, our superintendent and it was like, I don't know that this is what we signed on for. And we're like, well, yeah. the train's already down the tracks at this point. <laughs> yeah. So ask for forgiveness. I love it. Yeah, yeah, and it was kind of a difficult, we've had some difficult conversations and moments and, and where I've learned to be a little, I think we were so immersed in the story that we didn't really know how it was going to take shape. And so we weren't as communicative as we wanted to be because it was just like we were so consumed. And so when we had that thing like, hey, we think we have a documentary, you guys were like, oh, I think you thought maybe it'd be like a TV special or something where the news stories were put together. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that is one lesson that I took is like that two-way conversation. We were pretty good about it, but in retrospect, I, I would have been more open about that and, and um, thinking more forward, you know, to, to keep you in the loop, so. Yeah, and I yeah. think that on our side, that was one of, one of the learnings was just to really have a clear understanding of the scope of a project um, and to be in communication. So the way that this worked, we sat down with Ben and Lindsay, my boss Julie and I, uh, and had a conversation about what is this documentary going to look like? How are you going to protect the dignity of our students and our families? Um, you know, a lot of people want to come into North Minneapolis and tell a certain story. How are you going to tell a story that is authentic and real and engaging and not paint our students as poverty victims and unintelligent and everything else you saw in the, the, the opening sequence there, uh, the girl who said, people think we're ignorant and all these things. When we have beautiful, smart, intelligent kids in North Minneapolis, 
explicit, as Mari says, may not be reflected in a test score. How are you gonna tell that story? And we really um, had some challenging conversations, I think, about that. And recognized in that space, you know, you're two white journalists, we're two white communications professionals. This is a story about people of color and a community of color. And what are you going to do to honor that and to understand your own bias and to make sure that this story that gets told is through a lens that reflects the community, as Lindsay said, really holds a mirror up and not a mirror that is turned in a certain direction. Um, and we came up with a series of agreements. And even just on the practical side, um, with you being in a school every day, there's breaking news. A situation could happen. And you have a, a journalistic ethic to share that news. That's what you signed up to do. Um, and as the fourth estate, you know, the guardians of democracy, how are you going to honor that obligation while also honoring our students and our families and our school staff who need to have communication as well? And so we reached agreements on things like if breaking news happens, you're going to let our us tell our families before you mm -hmm. tell the news station and practical things like that. Um, after this has all come out, I think that um, it's both opened our eyes and freed us in a lot of ways that we couldn't have anticipated. Um, I've always in my role worked to build strong relationships with media. I think Lindsay um, and I had that. That's what led to this um, collaboration to start. But um, beyond that, you know, we've always had a sense of need, needing to be there for the filming, needing to be in the school as something happens, controlling the message, right? Um, and this project allowed us to see that like, if you do the legwork up front and set good parameters and have an understanding, you can release some of that responsibility. And as I mentioned, you know, we're a small staff. We have five people for a business. You know, Education is not a business, but we do have business functions. Uh, that is more than three quarters of a million dollars with 7,000 staff and 36,000 students. And we have four people at that time, now five, to manage that entire operation. And so to take time out to go to a school and direct a news story limits our abilities to manage other things, be proactive in communication and other mm -hmm. um, work that we're doing. So this project showed us that you can release the reins and the world won't fall apart, um, mm -hmm. which I think is scary as a communicator because you want to be able to see six steps ahead. You want to be able to turn things in the direction they need to go. You want to make sure that the um, work that you're doing reflects your organization in the most positive way. Um, and I think that what this allowed us to do was to learn that all of those things are possible and um, if you've worked to build trust and relationship, it can happen without you being mm -hmm. on location, so mm -hmm. to speak. Yeah. Um, and I would also say that it's shown us that um, I think there's two stories. One is the superintendent, and he would say that we really need to um, think carefully about what projects we agree to uh, and the impact that they can have. His greatest fear was becoming the next waiting for Superman. Um, and he said, um, "Why?" I think that just because, uh, again, our job is to educate students and not be a focus of conversation or the national um, dialogue around education. And Lucy Laney is an amazing school, and they're doing brilliant things for students. And there is a love in that building that is palpable. At the end of the day, 
only one out of three kids are reading a proficiency still. Mm -hmm. um, and that is on state tests. It's also on our district tests that show we are failing these students in so many ways. And how can we have that be our story and also have a story of the work that's happening? And I think that that's his fear is, how do you live in this world where mm -hmm. your product that you're providing is not doing what it's supposed to do, but the way you're trying to provide it is something that should be emulated everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that is a challenging conversation yeah. and it's a challenging narrative to write. Yeah, and it's a very real pol polarity, right? Like you, both of those things are true and they yeah. exist and they have to be managed. Um, it's an interesting tension um, did you feel that tension in your reporting? Because I, I, what I'm hearing to some extent, or what I'm thinking through is that by kind of exposing what's good on a national level also exposes people to inquire on what's not working. Mm -hmm. And that that could um, create even more of a distraction perhaps then the beauty of this one school would be someone that hones in on what's not working at all of the other schools. Is that is that a, a fair reflection? Yeah, I think that's I think that's very fair. Okay, yeah. and, and you felt the tension of those yeah. things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we acknowledge we had some difficult conversations, and early on we showed a draft of the documentary to, Ed Graff saw it before it was released, and we had some um, conversations about parts that the school district was, they weren't, they didn't love initially, right? I mean, there's some difficult moments for the school, to, I don't want to give this whole storyline away, but the superintendent really showed up in a difficult moment for Lucy Laney in a way that I really admire. And although, you know, some could say that this moment doesn't paint the school district in the best light, he was there and he showed up and he took responsibility for this moment. Um, and I think that although there were some difficult conversations and some parts that maybe the school district didn't want us to share, I really give, give the school district a lot of credit for coming back around and really supporting this project in spite of and realizing that there's more good than harm that is going to come out of this. And I think there's also acknowledgement that this isn't a Minneapolis public school story. Just This isn't a, a story about the American educational system. I just got back from a, a tour through Appalachia and I had a woman come up to me crying and saying, I, I, I went to the Lucy Laney of the mountains here in Appalachia and we've, we've now shown this you know, all around the country and everybody is resonating because this isn't just a story about black urban children, it could be a story about poor white children in Appalachia too and so people are resonating with sort of the themes and so I think there is just this, this broader benefit to education that, that you guys embraced. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that I think that that was what was um, telling about this is you saw a lot of universal themes in this story, and that they're very moving and touching, and that it sparks a conversation about education. I think the fear was, does this spark a conversation about Minneapolis public schools? Mm -hmm. um, and the superintendent was very hesitant up until the screening uh, that happened at the Minneapolis Film Festival, and he saw the emotional reaction of people in the audience and he saw the questions that came after and it wasn't about Minneapolis public schools and that kind of freed him to be more accepting and embracing of the film I think I mean there was a moment that we brought Lindsay in to talk about media releases because the media release we had created uh, for the school district is good for news stories but is not good for a feature film and had to redo this entire process and it was also at a time when I think there was a lot of trepidation uh, about the film and um, not a uh, an effort to shut it down on the district side, but to more con 
control what might come out of this. Um, and the superintendent had asked us to have this meeting with Lindsay, so uh, my boss and I did that. And um, he had purposefully made sure he wasn't there. And then we ran into each other in the stairwell, and like it was. <laughs> we had some awkward, awkward. moments. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we all want to hear about the awkward yeah. moments. Yeah. <laughs> because I think we all face them, right? Yeah. I think we all face the story of what is going to drive us. Yeah. Right? Is are we going to um, be driven by what we're afraid of or what mm. is possible? And I think this is um, a real testimony of the courageous yeses. Right in the moments, and I think that when we fly too quickly past the tension, we miss the the opportunity to learn a little bit more about how to navigate that. So y'all run into each other in the stairway. Yeah, and, and this, hey, this contentious <laughs> moment of where you guys were like, we don't want this, this, this in the documentary, and um, we were trying to kind of talk through things. And I literally run into Ed Graff in the stairwell. This moment that I'll never forget. Um, <laughs> and you know, I'm a Minneapolis Public Schools parent, and so is uh, Ben Garvin, my co-director here, and we love Minneapolis Public Schools, and so. I really, you know, I revere Ed Graff, and and so it, it felt like, you know, here's my reporter hat, but I also have my parent hat, and um, yeah, and I think I think we just had to, again, with that trust that was already built, and 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 had to trust the power in the story that eventually it was going to win him over, and I think I think it did. Do you think he's okay with it now? Yeah, I, I think yeah. he is, and I think that although unplanned and. Um, in many ways purposefully avoided, uh, that meeting in the stairwell helped lead to that moment because I mm -hmm. think that um, Lindsay was vulnerable and that was one of the nice things about working with a journalist of such caliber is that she did not come into it um, with a predisposition or with a hypothesis that she was writing a story to or an idea that her vision of this documentary was the right vision and she brought that in that moment in the stairwell to him and he saw that authenticity and um, that vulnerability and I think was able to share his own side of things that led to I would argue a better product in the end and um, really helped as the relationship that had already been built over the, the course of the two years of yeah. creating the film. One of the things that maybe stood out in um, Dirk and you talking was around um, kind of this fear and, and the, the low performance across the district, especially with um, kids of color. Um, and in the documentary, there's a moment where uh, I think Mari is talking a bit about, like, we're not defined by one test in one day. And that's so much a measure that we're using um, right now to determine not just the success of schools, but we're actually reinforcing a narrative that is pretty negative about the kids that are in those schools, those families and communities. Um, have you, do you think the school will evolve to think differently about how they measure a school success. Mm. Oh, I need I need <laughs> our chief academic officer here. Um, <clears throat> or do you think communications what? has a role in helping to influence that? How about oh, that's that? That's a good question. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's what I will say. Uh, people don't realize that students entering Lucy Laney and many schools like it in our district start out 
in kindergarten already a grade level behind their peers due to any number of factors. And so you can have an excellent teacher who is providing a good education for students and those kids, the gap is already there and only grows because they have to do more than a year's worth of work in a single year. And that's before they even enter our school district. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, a conversation that we are trying to say runs deeper even than the test. We think, I mean, there's the school side and their vision of testing. And I think that there's the district side and the vision of mm -hmm. testing. Um, and then there's the parents and the kids, exactly. right? Exactly. And the parents and the kids, I think, were very, especially the young, the young people, um, their brilliance was so apparent, like their ability to like recognize, like they think that we're not intelligent. Yeah. They think we're not smart and we are. And um, that goes to kind of where I started and sharing a bit of my story of growing up in that neighborhood, that we would be remiss not to understand that what we say as adults get into the psyche of children. And I don't know if anybody has ever thought that they were an underperformer in anything. And if people look at you as an underperformer, it's very hard to perform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, um, I'm hoping, I'm not even wondering, <laughs> I'm hoping that we can find new ways to tell stories. Mm. Right? And, um, you know, th those kids were me and my life experience, and I was still completely touched by them and very hopeful that we can begin to lift up both things are true they're they're yep. both brilliant and how we're assessing them perhaps needs to be challenged yep um, for you, so we talked a little bit about our institutional relationships mm -hmm. um, and how this worked, but how has this affected you um, personally? So beyond uh, Levante King and, yeah. um, you know, you, you decided to spend more time there and it had to have you reflect perhaps on how you had been telling stories in the past? Yeah. Um, maybe some of your own biases and, and assumptions. Um, I, I hope they were challenged and, and blown out the water, but why don't you yeah. share if they were or not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I grew to, to love coming to North Minneapolis and love walking through the doors of Lucy Laney every day and even thinking, gosh, I would love if my son would come to this school. And here I live in a more white, middle to upper class neighborhood in South Minneapolis. But feeling, I, I really just challenged my assumptions of, of where can you get a quality education. And I believe that my son would get a wonderful education at Lucy Laney. Mm -hmm. um, I had made another choice. And, and so to, to confront some of my own assumptions what, what was moving. Mm -hmm. um, can you share any of those? Can you, can you articulate yeah. what maybe? Well, I, I never really, I went to an all white suburban school. I'd never really been in a school of, of, of all color, mostly black children. I didn't know, you know, you have this idea of what, what a failing school is and, um, you know, walk through the halls and it's anything but. And for, for me, what more carries with me is just this, this uh, piercing love. And I have a child who is outside the box. He has ADHD and anxiety and some other struggles and he needs love before he needs anything else. And, and re really like realizing that, um, what, what can happen when we choose radical love and choose radical love collectively and being part of the collective. That's just, you know, um, and, and again, how can we all shoulder that? And while my parents were educators, I didn't feel called to education. I just feel more compelled to share some of these stories and, and 
I feel like I can I can shoulder the complexities and help change people's thinking, you know. And a lot of the comments I'm getting are, "Gosh, I, that that story of Lucy Laney feels like a world away, and it's only six miles from my house." A lot of people from South Minneapolis and Edina, so they just drove up there just to look, you know, and just and and feel. And so I just realized that I had completely grown up in a bubble, and and I, I wasn't really aware of it until I was a reporter, and proximity changed me. Proximity. That's what it was, that we're all more similar than, than what you realize. And um, I'm so grateful to have a job that brought me into the center of North Minneapolis and, and changed who I am forever. And so Mari, when we initially went into the school, said, I have had many people come in here and try to tell our story and they're not up for it. When, when the people try to peel back the layers of the onion, they can't do it. They're just, they, they, they don't have what it takes inside them to shoulder that. And so by the end of the year, she said, you guys proved me wrong. And, and what, what is it about me that was able to shoulder that? I, I, I'm not sure, but just the curiosity and the human connection and the, and the love, and also the belief that, I believe this story can spark systemic change in education, how we measure children. And I've heard conversations already at the state level how they might convene a working group to look at this test. And you know, seeing people cry in North, you know, from North Carolina to Arkansas to you know Kentucky um, about about this school, I really believe in the greater good and being more purpose driven. And it's just also changed me that that the work that I do going forward has to be more purpose driven and. I no longer can be the deliverer of the, you know, the one-minute stories of the, you know, shooting the shootings, whatever. and you know, and there's a place and a purpose for that. It's just not for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, has Kara Levin grown from this experience? Yeah, I believe so. I think that um, just like Dirk had to gain a lot of internal um, and external trust in his organization, so did I. And I think that. Um, Initially, this was probably viewed as like just a feature story, isn't that sweet? Like, oh, these kids, they're cute. And, and really, large-scale change is, is happening as a result of this story. And I think we've had a lot of people in journalism tell us that you've created a new model of storytelling. And I've, had, I've heard from stations around the country that are now producing similar documentaries, picking a school in their own community to see what story comes out of that school, which is lovely, because that's going to be a completely different story than what came out of this neighborhood. I've had people in the film world say, you've created a new type of filmmaking. And that was, again, not our goal. Um, and then people saying, you've created a new model of how to deal with public relations professionals and communicators. And I just think that is so lovely that we have this like cross-section of storytelling in a new way. Um, but I feel like I really give credit to the work at Lucy Laney for driving this. And then just, um, yeah, just the, the story. It's a powerful story, no matter how you tell it. Yeah. Um, in the documentary, so we have people that have not seen it, and I don't want to give a spoiler yeah. Yeah. necessarily, but I do want to know, is there is there a moment that you could share that maybe was your standout moment and that either showed up in the documentary or not mm. for either one of you? you want to go? I'd love to hear what your favorite moment is, Dirk, because you weren't... I witnessed many of those moments. I'll share mine, but... Yeah, I'll say uh, one of my favorite moments is uh, Mari, the principal, is driving in her car on the way to school one day, and she is listening to some praise music, and it's a you know a beautiful sunny day, and she's just you know she's feeling her reflection. It's sort of her morning time with God, and um, she ruminates on 
um, privilege and how she straddles two worlds as a, a biracial person from both black and white worlds and really thinks about, um, talks about privilege in a way that she's talking about how she witnesses um, white people in coffee shops and their kids run so free and they run around the coffee shops and kind of create a commotion and a fuss and, and they, they look so free and she feels jealous of that freedom and she's so vulnerable in this moment and it, it really changed me and stretched my own thinking of yeah you know I have a, a little boy who runs around everywhere and I don't think twice of it but could a little black boy do the same thing and the, the scene is really polarizing um, when, when you watch it um, people have a, like kind of visceral reactions to it um, no matter what sign, side you're on and some people have said that they feel confronted by their own racism when she, they hear her talk about that and other people have, uh, people of color who grew up in a more like privileged community say well I feel free in a coffee shop and so I think you have to watch it to see but it's just a moment that really challenges your thinking about your own privilege or not where you stand in, in society so did you yeah. do you know what I'm talking about yeah, yeah I do I know exactly what you're talking about I um I think my one of my favorite scenes there's a lot of favorite scenes but one of them um I think is the basketball game yeah. <laughs> and um the staff are playing um ball with the kids and I think it's this moment where um, first of all, they're hogging the ball, the adults are. <laughs> um, but I think it, it um, really reflected for me the importance of being in relationship. And um, you can see the staff being in relationship with each other and, the, and them being in relationship with the students. And oftentimes you see education with someone in front of the room dictating something out um, in this very non-personal sort of way and kind of get in where you fit in. And um, I think that it, it really, for me, um, allowed me to see more or less what the culture, yes. what, what it embodied and what Mari was able to do um, within the school. Yeah, so. it's a great it's a great scene. Yeah, if you don't have one, it uh, no pressure. No. Uh, Lindsay actually she stole mine. Okay, oh no, sure you like that one too? Yeah, okay, it, I did, and I actually wound up listening to that song on repeat for like a week straight. So uh, it's very powerful. But um, I think one of my favorite parts of the film overall is just Sophia and the wisdom and strength and courage in this like little eight-year-old or <laughs> 11, how old I think she was a fifth grade at the time, yeah, 10, but she yeah. acts like she's 35. Yeah, she exactly. <laughs> she does. And um, it was so moving and there's, you heard part of the quote in there, but she talks about, you know, opening Pandora's box and there's all this chaos around you and navigating that and that beyond that and behind this is lurking hope. And it just really um, is touching and moving and you realize that that is the driving force and the through line um, and especially it, it's a story of the film of like you see all of this and you see the challenges and you see the difficulty and you see this really heartbreaking moment for the school but through all of that mm -hmm. is this line of hope um, and I think that that is exciting and touching and moving yeah. and a good yeah um, thing to reflect on. Yeah, we had a, a couple of questions that were uh, submitted, and one of them was, you know, what do we do now for those students that were at Lucy Laney, mm -hmm. and how do we make sure that they continue to go in the right direction? How do we make sure that the trajectory that they're on um, is continued and that they get what they need academically, socially, emotionally? Um, mm -hmm. Is there is there a plan for that? Because I think that even for the, the youngsters that were in this, I imagine, had some level of neighborhood celebrity. 
mm-hmm. um, and attention that that may not live beyond beyond this moment. Um, have you guys um, thought about the care of those students um, on kind of post documentary and then where they go next in school? Hmm. Um, I think that um, with Mari moving to North High School, the, the school's been in, in transition. Mari's now the principal at North, for those of you that didn't know. Um, but Lisa Pavlak, the assistant principal, is now the interim principal at Lucy Laney, and she really kind of carries on that culture and is the, a, a mothering sort of caretaker of the school as well. And I think that I've heard, I've heard them say that they instill so much um, worth and confidence inside their kids. You know, they have these announcements every day, like you're the most intelligent, the best looking students in all of North Minneapolis. And so Mari says they kind of even felt like celebrities before we came in. Okay. Like when the cameras came in, they just felt like they deserved that. You know, <laughs> that was just part of their, you know what I mean? And so I love they, it. and I think that's why we have such great interviews with kids because they have just lifted these kids up. Like, yes, you sit down and you talk. And so mm-hmm. I think they, they all hold their heads so high that, I mean, of course they have a lot of struggles, but I think that, that they feel so proud when they're at the school and, and, and the staff it, it has, um, is so rich and, um, and it is such a family that the, the students are really wrapped around in this successful environment. But also, um, I do know that the, the teachers remain in deep relationships with all their former students. So many of the kids in here that have now went out, gone on to middle school, their, their teachers at Lucy Laney are still checking on them. Um, and, and when we had uh, these release forms, we had to get a release for every child that appeared in the film, which was really difficult, for like 400 um, signatures. And part of the reason we were able to get, and we had to go back a year later, and, and it was a very uh, Herculean task to find all these students. But I, I say that because it wasn't as hard as what you think to find all the, all the kids in this community because everybody keeps tabs on them. You yeah. know? And there are, of course, some that move on, but there are sort of enveloped in, in still this, this love. But um, as far as what happens next, I know there was some, you know, some, some fallout and, and a little bit of trauma from um, a big incident that happened at the end of the film and, you know, where how do we go on with our test scores and I don't know if you have any reflections on that, Dirk, or how to support them further. Yeah, I think... Um You've talked on the personal, so I'll talk a little bit more broadly. I think, and this goes back to one of your earlier questions, Chandra, is how we frame the narrative if we're talking PR speak. And um, one of the things that we've done is really started to evaluate how we talk about test scores and how we do these things. So when the Minnesota Comprehensive Assessment scores came out, we used to do a press release every year, and we didn't do that. And we used to talk about pockets of success, um, you know, these areas where things were going well, but really there was no systemic um, work behind that, and we've stopped talking about that and trying to name things more honestly and to talk about students more holistically. Um, and the multifaceted um, measures that make up who a student is. And um, I think that also in our legislative work, we'll continue to talk about tests and test scores and um, the framing that we take as a state around that and um, just the district's work overall on social emotional learning. as well as a process we're going through right now of a comprehensive district design, recognizing that we are not providing a well-rounded education for our students who need it most. Um, And so what steps can we take as a district to make long-lasting change so that the good work you see happening at schools like Lucy Laney follows them throughout their educational career and provides them the best opportunities for success when they graduate? Sure, sure. Marsha, are we doing Q&A? Yes, we are getting ready to do Q&A. How are you all enjoying this conversation so far? 
you're saying some, this conversation has been absolutely phenomenal. We're going to get ready to, and if, unless there's a, a closing question that you'd like to close out this section before we segue into Q&A. Let's go. All right. <laughs> well, now's the time for all of you to ask your questions. We have two microphones set up on either side of the room. Just go ahead and come on up to uh, the mics, and you can get ready to pose. Go ahead and move forward with posing your questions to Shonda, to Lindsay, and to Dirk. I just want to say once again, thank you, all three of you, so very much. This has been such a rich and very moving conversation, and I know as a public relations professional and former journalist, I've really just gotten so much out of it this morning. Thank you. So go ahead and step right up. This is your time. Mm -hmm. We have about a half an hour, so let's, uh, let's take advantage of this time. And I also want to make a uh, correction while folks are making their way to the mic. The Twitter handle for Minnesota PRSA, it's not men PRSA, it's at Minnesota spelled out. PRSA. So for those of you who are tweeting, which I hope that you are mm -hmm. out on social media, tweeting, Instagramming, and everything else about this wonderful discussion. All right, Clayton, we'll start with you, and then we'll come over here to you, Brooke. <laughs> yeah, it's a little short. <laughs> it's not on. You can shout. I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it. I'm curious, Yeah, so as a, a mom of five, um, growing up and living in North Minneapolis, what would I say to my own children about the narrative that is created about them, without them, um, and to the kids? You know, I, um, I have the same imposter syndrome stuff, right? It comes into my head. I'm often asked, you know, one of the questions that I get asked a lot that bothers me the most is, how did you make it out of North Minneapolis? Mm -hmm. um, as though it's a place to get out of and not a place to invest in. Um, I also still live there. Um, and I think it, it's coming from a place, I think, with good intentions that has a very negative impact. Um, and I've made a decision um, to stay there because my family is there, my support system is there, and because I love it there. Um, and there are challenges. Um, five, five kids, four boys. So when you think about what it means to be an African-American male, it, it extends beyond the North Minneapolis narrative. It goes into police and community relations. It goes into, you know, what their roles are in college and workforce and everything else. And so um, your question reminds me of a, a, actually a, a conversation I recently had on the podcast with James Foreman Jr. And his father was a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. Um, his mother was white. Um, his father is black. And um, they divorced when uh, he was seven. And what uh, he was in a, a predominantly white school 
um, on the East Coast, and mom decided to move her two sons down to Atlanta because she said having a rigorous academic life where, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but where your self-esteem is shattered is not a good education. And it made me think of this documentary, and I think that I have done my best at surrounding my children and other children that I've come in contact with. And I invest a lot of time talking to young people um, because I think it's important that they see themselves as um, with all the potential that they have and that they have an opportunity to see role models and other people that are from the community that they're from and levels of success and that they can't be what they, they don't see. And I think part of my commitment is being someone that they can see and bringing other people within my network there that look like them around. But I don't know if I have the secret sauce to it, but I think that it's important that we're all really aware of this is not something that sits with kids kindergarten through 12th grade. It sits with you for a lifetime. And the messages that we've seen uh, and see and on, on news or the messages that we get from our schools, the messages that we get through our interactions, um, inform us in ways that either um, inspire us or um, paralyze. Hmm. Thank so, you very much, yeah. um, Clayton. And from now on, what, because that microphone's not working, let's use this one. Brooke will take your question. Oh, it is on now. All right, great. So we can use both. Thank you, Clayton. Brooke, and this is your time, communicators, PR mm -hmm. professionals, others who work in DNI. This is your time to get your your questions answered or bring your comments. Thanks, Marcia. Um, so first of all, thank you for such a, a rich conversation this morning. I was just hanging on your every word. So thank you so much for, for being here and, and sharing this conversation with us. I have a question from the perspective of a public relations professional. And it's really a question, I guess, that any of the three of you could answer. And that is, do you think it's possible if a reporter is going into a story with a certain point of view or a certain angle, do you think it's possible to shape, shift that? And if so, how do you do it? Because one of the things I've heard a lot over the years is if a reporter has, is going into something with a certain point of view, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to change what that pre-existing point of view is. And I just would love if any of the three of you would, would comment on that. Mm -hmm. I yield to. Yeah. <laughs> I can just say from a reporter's perspective, I mean, certainly you can have experiences like this that have, have changed me as a human being and imprinted on my heart, but that, that takes time. And I think, I think the greater battle for me as a reporter is, um, is taking is fulfilling your assignment, right? The, the assignment that was given to you by another subset of people that have a certain idea of what a story is, you know, and and many many good intentions. But if you look around, I'm, I'm speaking collectively. In most newsrooms, the majority are white. That just is, and that's a problem. And so a lot of people are drawing stories and editorializing from their own experiences from where they live. And so we don't have enough diversity of, of experience um, in our newsrooms to bring more of those ideas to the table. And so I think sometimes the, the standard is set. Um, this is your assignment, and you need to do it. And, and a lot of times you can float that back up and say, well, I think the story is this. Um, and sometimes you, people will listen to you, and sometimes you have to execute exactly 
what was given to you. And so I think that's even hard, like it's not even just the reporter, it's the institution above them and, and what media organization they're working with too. Um, on a daily turn, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's possible to, sh to shift somebody's mindset in a few hours. You know, I, I think a longer term project, something like this, you know, a back and forth. Um, Part of what um, really helped me in this experience was linking arms with the community. We held many focus groups in the community. We built relationships with families, and that's how we were able to tell this story as white journalists coming in because we we listened and we we created trust and relationships. But on the daily deadline, that is so hard, um, and, and so that's what I really really struggled with. Um, so I think it is difficult because most reporters are not necessarily trying to pursue their own agenda. They're just trying to execute the assignment that was given to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I would just follow up to that to say, um, I've found that to be the norm rather than the exception that somebody comes in to write about Minneapolis public schools with a hypothesis and they interview to that hypothesis. And what we have uh, striven to do is to control the access so that the message they get back, no matter what they're writing to, is one that reflects our values and what we're trying to say. So the school that they visit or the administrator that they're talking to or um, the meeting that they're attending, that that is reflective of what we want to be saying, regardless of the hypothesis that they're trying to fulfill. Thank you. Very helpful, thank you. Yeah, this is uh, for Dirk, I guess. Um, you uh, enunciated as we talked, uh, as you guys talked about kind of the trepidation you had going into uh, this situation with, uh, with the embedded media. Uh, what are some of the lessons learned that uh, as you look back uh, over your experience that uh, you could share with us? Yeah, um, I think uh, one of the, the most difficult uh, things is learning to navigate um, and it's something we all experience as PR people, but your personal feelings versus that of your organization. I think a lot of the times I was all in on this project and I saw so much value. My husband is a teacher. Um, I understand what's going on, but I also work for an organization that has other values and priorities and needs. And so I think one of the things that was a lesson learned for me was um, navigating that in a way that bringing my full and authentic self to advocate for this project internally and um, really using my knowledge and experiences and relationships to do that, um, but also working in partnership with our leadership, with people who had different values and getting on the same page to present that to Lindsay um, and using our relationship not to um, talk differently than what we had as an official stance, but for her to understand why the district had that stance. Um, I think another thing that uh, I alluded to earlier was just releasing the reins. Like, I don't need to have full control over everything. And um, stories can play out in a way that are beneficial to your organization. Um, and I remember one of the early stories, even before the documentary that Carol Evan did was on discipline. And Lindsay was asking for a lot of data related to that. And our story isn't great when it comes to discipline. And there was a lot of fear over what that would look like. And I, rather than try and um, you know monitor that message, leaned into it. And I think that that was a powerful moment for me personally. And I think for the story of really just like, 
not trying to shy away and talk about all of the things we're doing in restorative practices and changing discipline and spending suspensions, et cetera, but to acknowledge that we're not doing what we need to do and that it is not what's best for students and what they need and that there is a racial disparity in our discipline that is not only wrong but gross um, and recognizing the power and words um, that mm -hmm. really call out the truth behind those things I think is something that this project um, helped me to do is to, to speak openly and freely and with conviction in a way that I might have felt more hesitation to do before. And I just wanted to add that I think Dirk um, sense that I was trying to understand and, and all of our stories really within these four walls but trying to reflect a system through these four walls um, but I had never previously been unaccompanied by uh, um, without a media person um, in a school ever so as a reporter for 18 years I've never really walked in the school without a media person right next to me so I recognized the the latitude the trust that you'd given me and and, and I never took that lightly um, and and I think even Ed Graff said I, I don't know that a, a district across the country is ever Ever given uh, a crew this much access and so um, I always recognized that and respected that and so really tried to honor that with whatever I was doing and I think that that really helped I just wanted to say that I don't think that we would have ever had this documentary if you hadn't ha had that that belief and trust too so another courageous yes but yeah and I think it all comes from relationship um, and I was trying to articulate this to Lindsay some, and it's the difference between having a relationship and being in relationship with one another, um, where there's a give and take and sacrifice and mutual trust building and not just, you're a news organization, I'm the person who manages news organization, but like understanding the deeper thing. And I knew going in that her parents had been teachers and that she had children in Minneapolis public schools. And she knew I had a husband who was a teacher because we took time to develop that in a way that was deeper than just the professional relationship we shared. I really, that, that was just such a profound statement, being in relationship and building that trust. We're going to go to our next question, and if you can let all of us know who you are as well. Hello, I am Jocelyn Parker. I am the Communications Director for Children's Minnesota. Um, thank you for sharing such a tremendous story and walking us through the process of how this came together. One thing that I have struggled with as a communications professional, particularly working in the healthcare space, is the follow-up. So you find this great story, you shine a light on it, you highlight the heroes, and then once the cameras go away, once reporters go away, you know, how do you go back five years later, two years later, and talk about where you are today with this school or another school? So mm. that being said, What's next? Mm. That's great. A lot of people have said, you know, are you going to do a sequel with Mari being at North High? And um, and Mari says, I don't want to love them second. Them. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and she was very honest with us. Like, at this point, being so new, I would never let the cameras follow me because it's just such deep, gritty work right now that she doesn't feel comfortable. I mean, when we went into Lucy Laney, that was after, like, seven years of amazing strides, and she had the space to do it. Um, but, you know, I'd, I would love to follow some of these students later. I mean, 
mean, especially Sophia, mm -hmm. everybody talks about her. I think she's going to run the world one day. Um, so I, I would like to, we, we remain in relationship with many of these families. Um, so I would like to, to do that sort of follow-up. But I think that that was largely what is missing from news too. You're living in that moment, that current, the news cycle now is not 24 hours. It's like one hour. So, you know, how do you, you know, and so I would always have these stories like, what happened to that? But no time to follow it because you just have to fulfill the duty of that day, the duty of that day. And that's kind of where even this story ruminated in my brain for a while because I, I was just, even after we finished shooting it, I went back to being a reporter for six months without ever, ever touching this. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. The follow-up is so difficult unless it's, you have the time carved out and then, or like the, the PR professional saying, you remember that story you did on three-year-old Clara? Well, now she's in kindergarten. Here's an update, you know? And so that's, that's always helpful. Um, but I think that is, it is a weakness of news and I would like to do some sort of follow-up with this. So thank you for giving me the power to, to claim it and remember it. Not just the weakness of news. I think it's, you know, we, we struggle with that um, on the um, communicator side too. So. Yeah. And full you. disclosure, when Mari um, went over to North, I had a son that was leaving eighth grade, and now I have two kids at North. Um, so I'm a, I'm a piece of the follow-up story. I'm witnessing um, the school um, being taken over by Mari's leadership, which is great. And we have a North High uh, student at the Ooh, microphone. At the microphone. Yes. How's she doing as principal? <laughs> tell us who you are. Tell us your name. And, and how's Mari doing? <laughs> Uh, my name is Kyla. I go to North. Can you move into the mic a little bit more, Kyla? Um, yeah, my name is Kyla. Um, I'm a junior at North High. And um, yeah, I was actually going to say, like, you guys call her Mari, but I call her Miss Free Saving. And, yeah. Um, she's doing a really good job. Um, I was there last year um, with us having a different principal. Um, but this year it's been different. She's very um, encouraging. She sees a lot of potential and success in all of us. Um, she's very caring and um, also really involved in a lot of things we do. I also play volleyball for North and she's really involved. She comes to every game and it's really like, um, it's really like a family at North. Um, we're all a community. We all, you know, know each other and it's really good this year. It's really nice and I really like it. Um, but my question, I have two questions for Leslie. Um, one of them is, um, the feedback about the documentary, um, was it mostly good or was it mostly bad? And then another, the other one was also, um, how did the parents react and how did, what did they think of it too? You, you mumbled at the end. I'm going to need you to, to um, speak the, the last question. Uh, I yeah. said, how did the parents react and what did they think about the documentary? Oh. Yeah. Thank you for your thoughtful questions. And I'm glad to hear it's going really well at North for you and with Ms. Friesleben. Um, um, you know, overwhelmingly really positive feedback. And even <laughs> to a concern my husband said the other day, like, I'm just kind of worried you're not getting very many negative comments. Like, that's just normal <laughs> in today's society. And, and what is it about this that people are just so moved and writing into our Facebook page and what can I do? And I think that's just... Um, Maybe this is new where you haven't had the space to hear from children, and, and children are the great equalizer, and so it's really hard to have negative comments about beautiful children who are, are being so vulnerable themselves. And, and if I could even add, like, we know from our experience in North, and, and I know as a parent, you don't even have an opportunity really to see your children reflected in that light by other people, like outside of the community. You don't really see that. And so the social media around this was around 
man, I want that for my children too. Yeah. I want them to be seen and heard and talked to and respected. Yeah. Early on, I connected with a former um, Care Love and Anchor, uh, Roxanne Battle. I know Roxanne. Yeah, 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 she's lovely. And she just cried after seeing the, some of the clips. And she said, I've never seen my brown and black babies on the news just because they're children. And and what have you done to honor our community? And um, I think I, I mentioned that we did a series of these focus groups in the community. And one at one point where we knew we were getting it right was we did one at KMOJ Radio. And about 12 to 15 staff members, we they watched the whole documentary on their lunch break. And uh, one of the... Um, uh, anchors or DJs, Q-Bear. Yeah, Q-Bear. Yeah, he was crying and he was like, I've never seen such truth about our community, about the frailty of our community and the beauty of our community. And this other um, reverend, Reverend Coleman, he's like, I feel like this is holy work. And so w when we were seeing leaders who live in the community and trench saying we got it right, I felt like we were on the right track. But I, I don't think we would have reached that outcome. I mean, people gave us critical feedback too. Like one example is, in an early cut, some, some women that live in the community were like, you didn't show the liquor store next to the school. And that is a big part of the community, and you're missing a big part of the community if you don't show the liquor store. I didn't have that context. I saw the liquor bottles on the street, but I didn't know it was that important. And so some people were saying, like, in our effort to not paint the community in a negative light, we had kind of swung two back you know, the other way and didn't show enough grit. So some of the community members were like, you know, there is some stuff that happens in front of the school that you need to show. So I think um, because we had a two-way conversation, um, we were able to kind of skirt some of that negative feedback and because we had, again, built these relationships all along. We were talking about parents. Um, we had, still had some parents towards the end that weren't, um, a few of them weren't big fans, but mostly all of them were because they loved seeing their children in the stories, they respected it, and because, again, they were part of the project. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and for the parents that weren't fans, was it because they didn't think it was gritty enough? Was it because their kids weren't shown? Was it because they were worried about it? Like, what mm -hmm. was the what's the theme there? I think it was just more of. Um just kind of like the, the mass media, just kind of yeah. still not being able to overcome. The lack of trust. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And feeling, you know, there, there's a whole historical, you know, trauma to that. I so, do know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yep. You have a question. Hi, I'm Julie. I do uh, corporate communications at Cardiovascular Systems, Inc. I have a question for Dirk. Um, did you do any media training for teachers or administrators? And if so, how do you balance that with allowing them and encouraging them to just be authentic? Uh, for this project, we didn't. Um, and I mean, the most I did was have a conversation with Mari and talk about kind of her hopes and our hopes. And um, she's just such a powerful force. And she's kind of a you don't direct her person anyway. <laughs> so um, she is really. When we talk about relationship, like it, it seems like a buzzword up here today, but it's just so true. Um, I think that she listened to me and I listened to her because, again, we share a relationship with one another and um, it's more than just professional, but like we understand things about each other and our hopes and our dreams. Um, so for this project, no, and I think that um, that would have limited what it was trying to do. I mean, if this is about the reality of a school and the story that's happening inside of it, it would be inauthentic for me to go in and try and direct what people are saying or how they're feeling or what they believe about the education that's being provided. Um, and I think that that would have been a disservice to the 
to the stories eventually to the documentary and to the community and the public who needed to hear that story. And I think that that's one of the lessons as communicators that we need to understand is when to step away and let the story just be told and not to control it. Because mm -hmm. if it sounded scripted, it would lose so much, you know, yeah. yeah. Thank you. We have time for one more question. Jesse. Uh, hi, my name is Jesse Ross. I work with Shonda. Um, Lindsay, this question is for you. So you talked a little bit about like coming from South Minneapolis, mm -hmm. going north, and like that experience for you. Yeah. I would just love to hear a little bit more about like how that's changed you. Um, and you spoke to it a little bit more, but even maybe just as a parent, as a white woman, as news media, kind of in that Limelight. So I'm a North Minneapolis resident. I also work with Shonda, um, and I'm a Polar North High grad. Oh, and yeah, so like yeah. I've, I live North Side. Yeah, I live actually four blocks from um, three blocks from Lucy Laney, and so I take the proximity something in relationship. But those are words that we talk about often. Yeah. But I don't think that we hear media communications people. Um, talk about just the proximity from a distance, even if it's just like usually we hear it from Minneapolis and St. Paul. Yeah. And so even if it's just from South, North, Northeast, whatever that may be, right. I would just love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. I never stopped through North Minneapolis until I was a reporter here. I mean, I grew up in the Plymouth Maple Grove area. I went to Osseo schools. Um, you know, again, parents, educators, just never, you know, I think I really grew up like many people in the suburb, just kind of in your in the little circle. My parents were kind of from small towns. And so like the suburb was almost enough for them. I didn't even come into the city all that much. Um, and so, yeah, I think some of the first, um, you know, stories I covered in North were mostly all violence related shootings. Um, but I started to sort of have my eyes open just by standing there on the shootings and talking to people in the community, just talk, like having great conversations with people, um, standing on the street corner for many hours covering something, but being in conversation with the people going back and forth and then building um, relationships with local leaders and the faith community, um, just a lot of the people advocating for children and against violence. So I started to just create, uh, like have connections with people who would give me stories. And, um, and, and I did return to the neighborhood on positive stories at times, it's just that the, the negative stories were louder and more frequent, you know? And so the, the, the positive stories didn't get a chance to shine as much, you know? And, um, so I just started to build, build relationships. And then obviously, um, through this experience, I feel like embraced by many people in the community. I feel, I feel comfortable. And, um, I just think that it's just changed my definition of, of community. I think that a lot of times we think of communities so micro, right? Like your neighborhood, your street, your school, and um, thinking more intentionally of, of um, how I can be part of these, these what, what would you use, a cross-section of conversations? Like we're talking yeah. about in our own groups, you know? And when I hear um, at a lot of com um, talks, people say to Mari and Lisa, what can I do? How can I help? And they always say that Lucy Laney has enough volunteers. We, we could use your dollars, but we don't really need them. They always ask people to go out and be disruptors in their own community and take this story back to their own sphere of influence and their church and their school board. So I just think a lot about like, how can I be a light and, and beyond my, my comfort zone? And, 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 and so with this role and, and the privilege of being a communicator and a journalist, how 
how can I disrupt in my own way? Um, and just, just being a listener. I think that's the biggest thing, just being a listener and then feeling the responsibility to tell more stories like this. Yeah. And I hope it's just the beginning. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the, the takeaways that I have is um, the relational piece, the proximity, that um, I think the listening piece is really key and um, the control and command that can sometimes come from comms departments, um, that um, there are stories, especially related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, you likely have people within your organizations that are saying, I wish that we would, you know, why can't we? There's probably themes there that are, are directing you in ways that maybe your business hasn't done in the past. And I think without the listening and the courageous yeses and knowing that there's a series of courageous yeses that get you to something extraordinary um, really starts with good listening and recognizing that your worldview, the frame that you bring, um, and specifically and especially when you don't have a diverse group of people perhaps working in comms, in Marcom, that without that filter, that you're not going to hear where some of the good opportunities are. And so I hope as you go through this day and as you go through um, the, you know, the upcoming days and have an opportunity to reflect on the importance of presenting um, you know, the narratives that exist, the importance of people being reflected in what they see coming from you and how that actually builds trust. Right, I, I, I trust you, right? Like I know you more through the story and um, the, I, for me, your ability to see it um, and see that, that my community um, puts me in relationship with you in a way that I wouldn't be if I only saw the news stories on the shootings, right? That would just create distance. And um, the power that we all have to um, bridge bridges in our way, I think should not be underestimated. Mm -hmm. So I hope that um, you go on to have uh, a beautiful time with Ms. Marsha and what she put together. So thank you um, for, for listening. Thank you very much. Let's give them a round of applause.